and Kyora. My name is Daniel Hernandez. My pen name or online name is Arsiatekun. Uh, one of the reasons for that is if you look up Daniel Hernandez on Google, you're going to see it's a very common name across the world. I don't have a middle name, and so um, I wanted to distinguish which Daniel I was, um, but also uh, find a way to honor my grandmother. So Arsiatekun are, are the surnames of my paternal and maternal grandmothers. I wanted to start a podcast for a while now, and so we're going to give it a go and see um, if we can make it work and keep it running for a little while and at least and, and see if there's any uh, interest or um, usefulness out of it. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to do this was because um, I, I just finished my university studies and I'm working at a university as well. And so one of the things that I do is I, I write and try to get things published but I've found that that's a really, really long process and maybe I'll get better and faster at it as I go along, but I feel like it takes forever. And like, for example, I have this one project that I worked on, like started two years ago that <laughs> would have made a lot more sense two years ago and it's still not out and eventually it will get out. But um, kind of keeping that in mind, I was like, ah, oh, man, what's a better way to get information out or to share things? Um, so that's kind of the initial Thing that I was thinking about. Another one is I'm not really good at social media, uh, but I realize it's such a big part of today's world and how important um, it has become to uh, gain access to information. I'm not really great at it because I think things are, are very oversimplified and it's very easy to just kind of react and react and react um, instead of try to understand something and actually engage in a meaningful dialogue. Um, especially if you don't have a relationship with the people that you're you're engaging with online. And so um, I'm a long-winded person, and so I figured, oh, maybe instead of uh, uh, trying to improve my social media skills, which are, are not great, um, I'll just talk and see if this is a better way of going about it where I can spend the time that I would like to uh, engage with, with the ideas that I think are important. So that's a little bit about why I wanted to do this. Um, and in, in that token the name of the podcast is why as well and so i uh, wanted to kind of draw from uh, the, the english uh, meaning of why which is to question right to try to gain a better understanding of something so i like the idea of kind of being inquisitive and curious and um, inquiry through that uh, questioning uh, but i also um, live here in aotearoa in new zealand and i i like that um, that's also the word in Maori, which is the indigenous language of this place, um, for water. And so, again, thinking about how important and crucial water is to us as, as a species, as well as to other species that we share this planet with, um, it's a life-giving source. And so um, I like the idea of, of equating uh, why as water with knowledge. And so... That's the other layer. And then the final layer for now, um, right, is I also turn it into an acronym. So it's W-A-I, uh, which represents words and ideas. Kind of reflecting the spoken word and um, language and, and ways that we can communicate different ideas um, and engaging with a variety of ideas as well. So that's kind of um, a little bit of the, the background and meaning of, of, of that. So I wanted to talk about identity in this episode as a way to introduce myself, but also talk about the, the bigger ideas that are tied to identity. 
And so I guess the final point to make is to um, the audience for this, I guess, is I, I began thinking about what would I tell myself, you know, uh, many years ago. I'm, I'm currently 34 and I'm thinking, what would I tell my 18-year-old self, my 16-year-old self, my 20-year-old self, my 25-year-old self, etc. And what would, what would be important for me to share with that former self about what I've kind of come to learn and ex- uh, learn up through my life up to this point with their experience and insights through my studies, etc. And uh, in, a, in an additional, you know, to that, hopefully that's useful to other people as well. And hopefully it uh, can be meaningful to folks. And at the very least, if nobody listens, then it'll be a record for my kids and so they can see how I was thinking. Um, but hopefully it, it, there, there are some points of interest to people in the community if you're interested in the kind of things that we'll be talking about. And so before I get into this first inaugural episode on identity and introducing myself, I also wanted to kind of lay out a few themes and scope um, if you're trying to decide whether this is something you want to stay tuned to. Um, there's probably going to be a lot of different things because I'm interested in a lot of stuff and I think about Toni Morrison and when she said, you know, if there's not a book out there that you that you like or that you wanted to read, then you've got to write it, right? If the book that you want to read isn't there, you got to do it. So that's kind of what I'm doing with this podcast. There's a lot of really great podcasts out there. And I like the nerdy academic ones that talk about articles and theory. And I also like the ones that talk about pop culture. And I also like the ones that are conversations between people. And so, but I wanted to do one that kind of does a little bit of all of that. And so I imagine, um, you know, time will tell, but at the moment, the the plan is to really focus on kind of indigenous issues, but have a really kind of complex and global perspective on indigenous um, issues, of course, grounded in my experience um, and travels uh, and, and the topics that are tied to that, like social, political and cultural commentary Um as well as maybe doing some reviews um, on pop cultural topics or issues. Um, I hope to have Talanoa or, or talk story with uh, friends and colleagues so you're not listening to me all of the time and uh, probably going to mix in a bunch of the, the research um, that I've been doing as well to, to share some of that and, and other people's research and the topic of education. Um, so I'm trying to, again, talk to myself in the past and, and trying to talk in a way that would make sense, um, I hope, to to that person, to the community. Um, because sometimes, you know, you spend so much time in, in the university that I, I begin to adopt the, the language there. And, and really is, it's like a whole other language. And I, and I like it. I, I really like the academic language because I've learned to say a word that can represent so many things in that one word, just like any language, right? When you're learning new language, new words, it's it's, it's opening up a whole new world. Um, but the problem is that not everybody speaks the academic language, and it took me years to learn it, and I'm still kind of struggling with it at times. And so um, I want to kind of try to, to back out of that um, for this uh, podcast. So even though we may talk about stuff that came out of academic settings going to try to do it in a way that makes sense um, to more people. So uh, let's get into it, introducing myself and who and who I am. And so 
like I mentioned before, my name, and my name came from my parents. They they named me that. I was supposed to be a different name, but I have a, a cousin who was born before me who ended up with that name, so I ended up with the, the one that I have of Daniel. I was born in Los Angeles, California, in the U.S., and that's about it as far as what I know about L.A., because all I know is I was born there, and I, I would visit there periodically throughout my life, but I wasn't raised there, so... Um, even though it's a part of me, it's it, it's not a big part of me. But that's something to think about, right? When you're thinking about identity, where does your identity begin? Um, it certainly might begin before you're born, depending on your belief system. However, um, let's just be practical as far as the the physical um, reality. And so, where you're born could be a significant thing for you. It might not. It could be a big part of your identity. It could be a little part of identity. So even though it's not a big part of my identity, I think it's interesting that I also still identify with it. Like, I know that I was born in L.A. Like, it's a, it represents a particular point in time in my family's journey and, um, you know, kind of how I, where, I, where I came into this world. And so uh, beyond that, though, I would say if, you, if anybody, you know, people have asked me, oh, where are you from? Are you really? I'm like, oh, I'm from Rose Park. That's the neighborhood I grew up in. So it's a working class neighborhood on the west side of Salt Lake City, Utah. I uh, was super diverse growing up, still quite one of, uh, diverse, um, but dealing with gentrification, so that's changing as well. But that's a that's where I would say I'm local too. That's where I've lived most of my life, and maybe I'll end up living other places longer, I don't know. But m- when I was coming to understand the world, it happened in that place. And so a lot of how I see the world was formulated in the Rose Park neighborhood, uh, with my family, with that community there. And even though I may not agree with everything, the fact that I don't agree with it is still in a disagreement with something there. Or if I agree with something, then it came out of there. And so that kind of became the center area. That was the, the middle, that was the center of the universe for me uh, growing up because that's uh, where I kind of came to, to understand a lot of things about myself and about the world. That being said, though, my family comes from Ishimuleo, Guatemala. And so because I have brown skin, I have dark brown skin, when I was growing up in Utah, which is a very homogenous state, which means it's a, it's a state within the U.S. that has the same kind of people, mostly, right? So homogenous means like um, the, the same, homo the same, right? So the the state is known to be a white state, meaning racially white. Most people there are white Americans. Now, obviously, there's complexity to all of that. Um, but that being said, when I've gone outside of Utah, you know, that's the, the perspective and lens that people have. And surely it is for the most part. But I grew up in the place where they keep the brown people and the poor people. And that is where I was, is in the diverse um, working class community. And because... You know, because of the mainstream ideas in the U.S., you know, if I said I was American, people would still ask, like, oh, well, what kind of American? Like, what do you mean by that, right? And so, because the dominant image, meaning the the most visible representation, so dominant being kind of the, the representation that has the most power or visibility, uh, is, you know, the white American man, right? You think about Uncle Sam or um, pretty much every U.S. president, 
for the most part, and, and the most the highest positions of power, CEO, execs, etc., are represented by a particular image. And so, when you don't fit that image, if you haven't learned to question it, people begin to question you, right? Or or you question other people. So that's what I would get. People would question me like, "Oh, well, where are you from? Oh, well, you know, like, what are you?" A human being, right? But you know, I knew what they meant, and so I, you, they were asking, "Why am I brown? Why do I look the way that I do?" Which is a way of identifying me. And and the reason I look the way that I do is because my parents are from Ishimuleo, Guatemala, and of my particular ancestry, and so I have dark skin. The interesting thing is, I actually have quite a bit of European ancestry as well, but I was never considered European or white, right? Because race is something that um, is about the physical appearance and the assumptions people make about what you look like. So no one ever assumes that I'm European because I don't look European in the way that people have come to understand what certain people look like. Um, probably try to untangle that more later or at another episode, we'll see. But the, the point being, my, my family comes from Ishimuleo in Guatemala, and that is a big part of my identity as well. So I've got mixed ancestry there also, um, but I identify through my ancestry as Winak, which means uh, person or the people um, in many of the Maya languages. And I like it because I come from multiple tribes, and it sometimes it can be hard to list all of them out if I don't have the time to do so, and so I say I'm Winak, um, which just means the people in, in many of those Maya languages. But I descend from Kiche, uh, Kachikel, Sotuhil, and Mam uh, people, so four different Maya groups. Uh, and, and I kind of privilege the Kiche, not because I, I don't like the other ones, it's just the one I know the most about. That tends to, to also be a factor in identity, right, is, is what do we know? Which identity do we know most? And, and to what extent does, um, does that have to do with the way we see the world, and, and, but also how we're seen? And so there's always this negotiation, right? How I see myself, how I came to understand the world, but then also how people see me. Like, I can't control that, but it's nonetheless a, a, a part of how I, I think about things as well. Because if you're constantly being asked, where are you from? You know, that's telling you something. And then people make different assumptions about where you're from as well. And... Um, that's a, just a reality that I experience in the world. And so that's informed the, a lot of the ways that I've come to understand myself and, and other people and, and this world. As a, as a Mayan, you know, like I have a particular worldview, um, but I'm a certain kind of Mayan, which I'll talk about later, which is um, just to say, right, like I, I have connections with people in Ishimuleo, I've got family there. But like, I'm not from there. Like, I didn't grow up in the Highlands. I didn't grow up in Guatemala City either. You know, I grew up in Rose Park. And so I'm a different kind of Mayan. And that's because of the places that I've grown. And so identity to me is, is not just your ancestry, right? And it's not just where you're born. Those are a part of you. But it's also your experiences, where those experiences happen. So it's a place. And it's also your relationships to that place and to the people in that place or your relationships in life. That's how I see identity is, is is a culmination of those things. And so it's a lot more complex. Even though when I was growing up, I didn't think about it like this. Like, I couldn't tell you this. Even 10 years ago, I couldn't tell you this, right? Because even though identity was something I was always thinking about, I didn't know, how, like, how to word it. Like, I didn't have the words for it. That's one thing I'm, I appreciate from university. It, it, it gave me access to, to things to kind of think about 
uh, things differently. It gave me words and ideas to think about identity and to kind of try to make sense of my experiences. This is definitely not something I, I was aware of in this way. I was very simplistic in the way I thought about stuff in the past, meaning I just thought things were just very simply defined, right? Like, oh, I'm brown. That's it. Like, I identify with brown people. But then I was like, well, wait a minute. This is different all across the globe. This is different. There's different kinds of brown. Um, then you got black folks as well. You got white folks and, and whatever, right? And so you have this whole spectrum of things that, that get entangled together. They get mixed in together. And we then we try to make sense of it. And so it really doesn't make sense to do what I was doing in the past, which is think about stuff in just a singular way. Oh, that's it. You're just one thing. Instead of coming to the realization now that we are many things in one and that, that what makes it messy is how we have come to think about identity. So if we're raised to think about things in very simple ways, in black and white ways, in, in making kind of assumptions on appearance or representation and not seeing the complexity beyond that, then that's what makes it messy is we approach things with the expectation that it's just this singular one thing when really it's probably a lot of different things that are coming together. And maybe you're more of one thing than another at different points in time. Like right now I'm speaking English. Like if I switch over to Spanish, that's a different version of me. Like it's still me, but it's a different version of me because I can express different things. And there's also certain things in English that I can't express in Spanish. And so that means, and vice versa. So that means you're going to get a different face of me, but it's still me. But thinking about that complexity and how that plays out in, in our own identities, as well as how we either come to understand others or how we don't understand others because we haven't taken into consideration that complexity. And so on that note, although I identify as we knock and as Mayan, mainly because that's mostly what I know, I also have these other ancestries. I mentioned I have European um, later on in life, I discovered that I was uh, Jewish and Arab um, and, and German Jewish, right? Tied to uh, World War II era stuff and also African. I, I mean, I had some suspicions growing up, but it was not something that my family talked about. And there's reasons for that. Like, why is it that I had to wait till I was 20? Plus, I started getting really into genealogy and I started making people uncomfortable because I started you know, un untangling stuff that, you know, some people knew, but they weren't telling me, right? And so I discovered of my Afro roots, I discovered um, the, the German Jewish roots. It's interesting, right? I knew the European ones, because even though we don't look European, some of my family likes to identify that way. And then as a Maya, like, I couldn't deny that one. And, you know, and some of my family's on the spectrum, right? Some identify as Maya, some don't. And, and but yet all of them have Mayan ancestry. So that's the thing that, that gets a little bit messy. But then nobody was claiming they were black or African. And part of that is, you know, it's not a really strong part um, of our cultural identity, but it is part of our ancestry. And then what I found in, my, in the genealogy was that, in a sense, these were kind of forgotten and, and erased ancestors, um, partly because of shame, because of enslavement and the racist thinking that people had adopted and so they weren't passing down that knowledge or information. And that's also what happened with the Jewish line. I mean, for different reasons, right? These are, are, are different types of uh, oppressed groups, um, but they're connected in oppression, although in very different ways. And that was the same with the German Jewish ancestor that I had. Like, nobody told me. And when I was, like, discovering this, I got really excited. And then turns out people knew and nobody said anything. And part of that, too, was kind of two parts. One was... 
um, this ancestor had gone into hiding because of World War II era things. And then the other part of it was kind of shame and internalized racism and prejudice of negative perceptions of being Jewish. And so that wasn't being passed down. And so, and this also happens with the Mayan identity. Like we, we look Mayan, we don't, I, and you know, and then folks who don't identify with it, it's a really interesting phenomenon for me to observe, right? It's interesting to see how, you know, sometimes it's like, well, we kind of, you have a very prominent Mayan nose, what we would consider characteristic of a Mayan nose or, um, you know, our, our dark brown skin. And then I have some, you know, relatives who would be like, no, you know, like I'm not indigenous. And that's because indigenous means different things in different places. And also it's because of internalized racism as well, right? That to be, I mean, in Spanish, to say the word Indian, um, indio, is, it's a racial slur. It's a, a really offensive epithet in um, Ishimuleo to say that to somebody. It, it has so many negative connotations tied to it because of the historical baggage of how that term has been used in um, Guatemala. You know, as, you know, it means you're backwards, it means you're poor, it means you're ignorant, it means you're, you know, this no good, dark-skinned person, uh, you know. And, and so it's a, it's a really offensive term. But in the word English, it doesn't have... I mean, it may, it's complicated in English as well, but it doesn't have the same historical baggage. And so just as an example, right, so some people would deny it, even though it's kind of like, really, you know? But then uh, they, they, they try to, and then others don't. And then so there's a spectrum of all those things. And so for myself, like I kind of grew up amongst all these things. And again, growing up, um, I mostly just identified as Guatemalan because people would always ask me. And so I began to identify with that, country or nation even though I wasn't born there I wasn't you know raised there I've had the chance to visit and spend time there but I've never even been there for a whole year I, I really lack a lot of experiences to to what it means to to be Guatemalan in the sense of a na- of a nation and then I was like wow that's another identity too right the way nations are formed and um, the way we imagine nations to to exist and what the culture of the nation is, what the na- what the people of that nation look like, and then there's all these other bigger categories too. So once you cross the border, so I would say south of the border, um, you know, my experience is people try to prove that they're not indigenous. They try to prove all these things, and so many people have indigenous ancestry, and so the indigenous politics and identity is very different there. Whereas in the U.S., like, there's a policy of blood quantum for folks. Like, they have to prove through this really contradictory way of thinking about identity through so-called blood quantum, right? And then there's also the history of the one-drop rule for black folks, right? And so you could have one drop of white, supposedly, right? But that doesn't make you white. If you got one drop of black, that makes you black. Right. Historically and how people have come to think about race in the U.S. And then as an American Indian, it was even complicated. You had to prove that drop. Right. You had to prove that you were biologically Native American. And so there's a it's a whole mess. And so obviously we can't talk about all of this during this inaugural episode, but just wanted to kind of lay it out there and hopefully let people to begin to think about stuff that, hey, it's a lot more complicated than um, oftentimes we talk about. It's way more complicated than the way it gets represented in the media across the globe. And to begin to think about um, identity, hopefully in a much more complex way, 
um, but also religion, social, economic class. And then to kind of close up, we'll talk about these some more throughout, I imagine. But like I said, there's different types of indigenous. And then there's another layer to that for me as diaspora. I'm in the Mayan diaspora, meaning that I'm coming from the scattering that has come from being spread out um, through the displacement. You know, we have a long history of, of displacement. Um, and the most recent one has led my family into the U.S., which is where I was born and raised. And so I'm tied to my indigeneity or my indigenous identity, um, but I'm a different kind of Mayan. I'm a different kind of indigenous because I'm not in my ancestral homeland. I'm in diaspora. I, I've been scattered from that, from that place. So it's about my connection to place and my ancestors. But I live in, you know, well, I live in Aotearoa now and I grew up in the U.S. And so... I'm a different kind of indigenous. And one of the things that I've been thinking about is finding the words to express that idea, right? And so I'm not a local indigenous in, in Utah and I'm not a local indigenous here in Aotearoa. And I remember, you know, my mother, when I was growing up, she would teach me to respect them as elders, right? And even if it, it's, and so elder not necessarily being uh, older in age, even though that could be part of it, is older in that place. She helped me understand that the language and culture of that place was elder to ours. So even though we identify as indigenous, they were the elder indigenous in that place because they have all of the knowledge and experience and wisdom from living there for millennia or time immemorial of how to live in that place. And so it's embedded in their culture, it's embedded in their language. And so that wisdom is what my mother taught me to be respectful of. And, and partly too, because there wasn't really a big robust Maya community at the time in Utah. And so we depended a lot on interacting with, with other indigenous folks and their knowledges. And for me, another point in that was the the people of the ocean in that community that I came into contact there and partly because my family is members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints also known as the Mormons or LDS and that was the other people that looked like me you know we have differences but we had a lot of similarities in that place as people who had brown skin oftentimes a working class community sharing a religious faith or affiliation um, and also being indigenous peoples in diaspora. And it's actually those connections that ended up leading me to do the research that I do. Um, I, I married um, a Pakia woman, which means a New Zealander of European descent, who has Scottish ancestry and, and other British Isles ancestry as well, and Norse ancestry. And we met in the U.S. and, and came over here. And so that was my link to making it into Aotearoa because um, she wanted to come back and, and show our kids some of the life that she grew up in. Um, and I ended up doing research uh, with, with Tongans and with um, Oceania. But that initial connection came in Utah and it was those overlaps there. So I, I think about them and the research that I do in very similar ways. So I think about myself as, you know, we're indigenous to a particular place, but most indigenous peoples today don't live in their homelands. And so I'm really interested in, so what happens next then? You know, because we were mobile before and we're obviously mobile now, meaning we're moving, we're traveling. That's not a new thing. 
the reasons why we do is definitely new. Um, but that's kind of one of the things I've, I've thought quite a lot about is, well, what does that mean moving forward? And so I see it as kind of this continental indigeneity when you're indigenous to a region. Um, and then elder indigeneity or elder indigenous is those who are indigenous and still in the place that they're indigenous to. So in Utah, for example, Nuch, Nuwuvi, Newe, Kusyuta, Dene, also known as Ute, Goshute, uh, Shoshone, Paiute, and, and Navajo folks are the elder indigenous peoples to that place. But me as a Maya, as a Winak, from Ishimuleo, I'm continental indigenous. So I'm indigenous to the continent, to the region. I have connections there. I have close connections with the peoples there, the cultures there, the languages there, um, historically, ancestrally. But when we arrived in Utah, we weren't the continuous elder indigenous culture there. So we're continental indigenous there. They were elder indigenous. Here in Aotearoa, you have the same thing, Maori. And the way I'm thinking about it, right? Maori have amazing language to talk about it. You know, Tangata Fenua versus Matawaka, right? So people of the land or people of the of the canoe if, if you're not living in your ancestral homeland, um, but still within the ancestral kind of country or nation, um, which is another layer that uh, as well. Um, but then what about all the other islanders who, who live here, right? Tongans or Samoans, etc. They're indigenous peoples as well. And they're, I would say, continental indigenous here also because they are related to Maori. They're cousins. They're, uh, they have close cultural and linguistic ties. And so they are indigenous. And we, I don't think we should erase that part of your identity because to be an indigenous culture means that you have a continuous line of your culture. Culture exists everywhere and it's all there's all kinds of culture but corporate culture consumer culture those are going to be a lot more surface level cultures because they're a lot more recent they're not as robust or comp i mean they're complex but they're different whereas in indigenous culture we're, we're talking oftentimes centuries or millennia or time immemorial however we frame it these are continuous identities of course they evolve throughout time they adapt and they change but these are these living ancestral connections to a place and to a people um that are are maintained and so Samoans, Tongans, and Aotearoa for me they're indigenous peoples too but they're continental indigenous in my mind which means they are indigenous to the region they have close connections and ties here to Aotearoa and for me Maori um are Tangata Whenua they're, they're Mana Whenua they're, they have the authority um, of knowledge in this place they they are the people of this place and they're still here so for me they are elder to us in, in or to them and to me as well so for me in Aotearoa I don't have those immediate direct ties I'm not as closely related let's say as um, uh, Tongans and Samoans are to Maori but there are relations you start going far enough back in time and we got connections to Kumara the sweet potato we got connections to bottle gourds and um, other things that have kind of moved between the region before colonization and then with colonization we get entangled even more um, but I would say when I talk of myself as an indigenous person here uh, I'm not an elder indigenous person here I'm not continental indigenous here but I am part of the kind of global indigenous in that I connect with the identity the political identity of being indigenous um, I identify with the indigenous struggle that we have in common, even though it's it looks different across the globe. And also what has come to be this common world view that's very diverse, but 
that we have this living link with our ancestors and with place and the, um, these common communal values that have become characteristic of indigenous identity today. So I've probably talked more than I initially planned, and so I'm going to leave it at that. There's much more to say, of course, so stay tuned. Um, next episode, we'll talk about this time of year, tis the season, for who, and kind of look at some indigenous perspectives on calendars and ideas and concepts of time. Thanks for, for uh, listening, and look out for some more. Kia ora, Thank you.